This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Cruise Control. Uh, my name is Rich Bradbury and joining me on the show as per usual are my friends Ali Johan and Daniel Fernandez from DSF.my. Say hello, gentlemen. Good evening. Hello, hello. Hello, everybody, and thank you for still listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> of course they're going to listen to us. Anyway, yes, a show in three parts, as per usual. Up at the top, of course, uh, we've got some uh, news and some car launches. Uh, part two, a bit of a recovery kind of thing. Uh, uh, that's something we need to talk about quite... It's a serious discussion, isn't it? Yes. And then, at the end of the show, a used car guide. It's a luxury sedan for under 70k. That's what we've got coming up for you lined up on today's show. Ali, take it away for us. First, some news. This week, Mercedes-Benz just announced their fourth all-electric car. They've been pushing hard on the electric front this year, uh, first with the launch of the EQA in March, and then the EQB, the seven-seater, very nice family uh, SUV, came out, as well as the flagship EQS. And so this week, they just launched... The EQE350 Plus, which is a CBU edition, Daniel? Yes, it's fully imported for now and very soon it will be local assembled. But I think the local assembled version will not come as soon as people think it will come because this is, of course, a fully electric car and you know, to do local assembly, the factory has to be ready for a lot of sections of the car. But let me tell you this, a lot of car manufacturers, not only Mercedes-Benz, is already planning for local assembly and one of them has already started local assembling in electric car. We'll talk about it a bit later. Yes. Ooh, keeping us in suspense. Yes, yes, yes. So this car comes in uh, fully imported. Price may seem a little bit steep but remember it's full electric and if you look at the spec sheet, it's too long to talk about but if you look at the spec sheet and you compare it to the EQA which came earlier and the EQB and of course the EQS which is the big daddy of the, the Mercedes-Benz range for the electric car range you'll notice that the technology has been evolving little by little in terms of driving distance, charging time, battery management, features, and all kinds of little tech tech uh, add-ons. So it's clear that the electric car movement is not just sitting still with just one platform and one kind of magical power unit. Mm. They keep evolving, and this is what's going to be happening, which means I still cannot buy an electric car because I'm waiting for the final edition. <laughs> is there ever going to be a final edition? Actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's just my way of saying I'm not ready to buy an electric car. Right. Yeah, and as Daniel mentioned, you know, how much they gradually improve the EQ series with every release. This one has an electric range of 669 kilometers on a full charge. I mean, just to go back a couple of years ago when we were talking about electric cars, and the range of them. What were we looking at a couple of years ago? Maybe 400 kilometers, something like Four, that? 400 was the holy grail. You know, 400 it was, was right? like, wow, you know? And then I remember Porsche Taycan came out and it was, you know, almost 500, like, yeah. wow. And then now you got 669. Wow. This car does 669. And, you know, this car is cheaper than a Porsche Taycan. So a lot of Porsche Taycan owners, and it's a good-looking sports sedan like the Taycan. So a lot mm-hmm. of people are going to say, hey, you know, I should have waited, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
yep, yep. Okay, and uh, still on electric cars, uh, also we heard this week the launch and price of Volvo C40, which is uh, Volvo's all-electric compact SUV, has uh, finally launched in Malaysia. We spoke about it a couple of weeks ago about this coming to Malaysia. We still uh, didn't have a price for it that time, but now we do. Yes, because it was launched just this morning. And right now, while the show is going on, at a very, very expensive and five-star hotel in the heart of the city, there are tons of guests, uh, invited uh, customers and all, taking a special preview of this brand new all-electric platform Volvo. Now, why I say all-electric platform? Because earlier we saw the XC40. The XC40 Mm. started off as a uh, petrol-driven car. Then it was a plug-in hybrid. And then they had electric version. So the platform evolved over time from a petrol-driven car to a fully electric car. With the C40, this C40, it starts clean slate as an electric car platform. Nice. Okay. So again, Volvo has improved on the technology. There's a lot of new features coming in. Um, Twin electric motors powered by a 70-kilowatt battery. You can do an 80% full charge in about 40 minutes. It's got about 420 kilometers of driving range. Ah, okay, okay. And this is in a, in, a, in a small vehicle, so you can't compare it with the, with the Mercedes because a bigger vehicle will have a bigger battery, right? Yeah, true. So let me tell you the price. Now, the Mercedes uh, is uh, 419,000, right? Yeah. Mm. That's a Mercedes, it's a bigger car, it's got a bigger battery. You know, people must understand, it's not just the brand anymore. When the battery gets bigger, the range gets longer, the features get added on, the car gets more expensive. So this Volvo, mm. 288,000 ringgit. Hey. Affordable, hey. eh? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> affordable to some people, but yes. Yeah, people I like Ali, lah, you know? Yeah, definitely, yeah, guys, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And you must remember, this is an all-electric starter platform. So this is the start of the next generation of all-electric Volvo vehicles coming along. And they've changed the front look of the Volvo now with all electric cars. They all look this way now, right? Yes, because there's there's no need for a grill anymore because there's no engine up front. You don't Mm. need a cooling system. You don't need a radiator. They've got air circulation coming from the bottom. The battery sits at the bottom. And the interesting fact is with this car, uh, which I found, I've not test driven it yet, but, you know, they showed us the car and then we were were a bit amazed with this. This car does not have a start-stop button. doesn't have an ignition button. Okay. So what do you do? Just get okay. in and so, put your foot so down? You just, you, as long as you have the key in your pocket, okay, whoever uh-huh. has the key in the pocket, the moment they get into the driver's seat, there's a sensor, uh-huh. and the sensor tells the car, okay, the driver is in, get ready to go. So you just put the gear into D and you just go. Wait, hang on. There, there has to be some safety features, surely. I mean, well, it's Volvo, of course. It's Volvo. There are plenty of safety features, but that's how they want to get going. And, you know, a lot of electric car manufacturers from China are also mm. adopting this kind of feature where you don't have a start-stop button. But I think Volvo is the first to do it. And, you know, I think it's a, it's, it's an interesting feature, but I'm still not ready for it yet, you know? It, it feels like I'd be worried about kids just jumping in the driver's seat. You yes, but I mean? the key must be with you. The key must be with the person in the driver's seat. Okay, I'm, I'm worried about a kid stealing the key, jumping ah, in the driver's that seat. Could be, that know? could, be an, that could mm. be an issue also, yes, yes, yes. It must so be, we can, we can bring this up at the next the co- conference with Volvo. Ah, yeah, yeah. You know? Okay. But anyway, this guy's in the market. And here's the best part. This is the first all-electric car to be local assembled in Malaysia. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) 
So, Electrica, local assembled in Malaysia, also for export within the region. That means jobs, currency exchange, you know, economics and everything else, all in favour of Malaysians. So, this car will be made here and exported to our neighbouring countries, which Volvo has been doing for some time already. But, you know, it mm. just means it's going to be much, much more. Because if you look at the price, I think this Volvo C40 is going to sell very, very, very well. Mm. I think it will too. Interesting. Just on looks alone, and then it's a reasonable-ish price. It looks good. Uh, It's a decent range, you know, and it's a Volvo. Exactly. It's a Volvo. Mm. Mm. Yep. So from uh, a Swedish company, now we're going to go to the Japanese giants, Toyota. Toyota in Malaysia just shared their 2023 product range and they're going on an offensive next year. They just listed the vehicles that we can expect in the country next year. One of it is the second generation GR86 Sports Coupe. And as you can see the photo here, it looks a bit like the Yaris, right? It does look like the Yaris, yes. But a much more aggressive version of it. Yeah. Uh, Also, another GR edition coming is the Corolla, uh, which is going to be a five-door hot hatch, uh, same engine as the GR Yaris. And also, we hear there'll be a GR Supra with a manual transmission as well coming to the country. The Supra is already here. We know about it. But now they're going to get the performance version because, you know, people are complaining, not fast enough. So we give you a fast one. So there's a, there's a whole GR offensive coming in from Toyota, not to mention the BZ4X, which is their all-electric crossover. We've been talking about this car being tested on Malaysian roads, mm-hmm. Daniel. Yes. If you go to UMW headquarters, they've got already DC fast chargers installed and ready to be used. So you know this car is just around the corner. Mm-hmm. This other car that's going to be around in Malaysia for the next year is going to be a popular one because it is the new Toyota Vios. Yes, you know the Vios has always been a bestseller uh, from from two decades ago until now. Every single Vios model has been a bestseller. This, of course, is going to be another runaway success for them and a direct rival to the Honda City. They've always been competing. You know, will it have the hybrid Vios, engine? Um, well, we don't know which engine engine types are coming in. There's a few variants. But uh, most probably, the, the most common one will be the 1.5. But, you know, Toyota will surprise us. You never know. You never know. So, yeah, they've just announced uh, their vehicle list for 2023. We can expect that if you're a Toyota fan or if you're planning on getting a Toyota next year, watch out for these cars, uh, depending on your budget, of course. Now, uh, on to some motorcycle news. We rarely have news for the motorheads, but today we have one, right? Because Triumph Motorcycles, uh, the brand will soon find a new home in Malaysia with the appointment of DD Automotive as their new distribution partner in the country. Starting next year, this new partnership will have facilities in Petaling Jaya and Penang Mainland. So Triumph has already been in Malaysia since 2010. I mean, in a big way, they've been in Malaysia since 2010 with a, with the previous uh, distributor, which is Fast Bikes. They did a very good job. They opened a lot of outlets. In fact, the last two years, they opened two very, very new, very big outlets following the CI of uh, Triumph UK, which is flat black. You know, mm. I mean, all this mm. costs money. So it was came to a bit of a surprise to us when suddenly they say, hey, we are divorcing this, this distributorship and we are going on with a new company, which is DD Automotive. A little bit of uh, gossip here. Like, you know, DD has been around for the last few years. They've been take, they started as a very small entity. They started with Harley. Then they took Vespa. They took uh, Moto Guzzi. They took Aprila. Uh, then recently, they took uh, Royal Enfield. So now they've taken Triumph. So it looks like DD wants to be like a, you know, like a motorcycle warehouse, like, you know, as such, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they're taking on a lot of brands. 
I think it's you know it's it's a little bit of a dangerous move you know if you have too many brands but they seem to be very committed they've spent a lot of money uh, developing the brands also in the last few years all the brands that they've taken over have seen an increase in sales brand image and uh, desire and also merchandise has, has done very well mm. so it could be a good move we don't know we have to wait and see but I have to say this Fast bikes who were handling Triumph all these years did a very, very good job. So let's see if Didi can do better and do better in a big way. All right. On that note, let's take a short break here. Um, if you're only just joining us, where have you been? Um, you've missed stuff about Mercedes and Volvos and Toyotas and, of course, Triumphs. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, a bit of a discussion, the recovery of Proton and why it needed foreign intervention controversial. We're right back after these messages here on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Cruise Control. I'm Rich Bradbury. I'm speaking with, of course, Ali Johan and Daniel Fernandez. Um, we're into part two now. It's a bit of a discussion. The recovery of Proton from zero to hero. Uh, Daniel, take it away. Let's hear this. Okay, so just a few days ago, Proton sent us um, like a little, you know, spec sheet saying, you know, you know, it's, it's done so well in the last four years. Uh, the X70 has been an outstanding success for the brand and everything else. And uh, it was more like a, like, a, like a promo poster. And then they, they were introducing a special edition model X70 to say thank you to, you know, to, to, the, to the customer base and Malaysians for, you know, believing again right. in the Proton brand. But I read it as this. I read it as this. So, <laughs> you know, I like to tweak everything to, to my way of thinking. And my way of thinking sometimes can be a little bit dangerous for, you know, car companies. So, <laughs> let me just share this. Yes, Proton has turned around from zero to hero. I will not like to use the word zero very often, but you know, yes, they were doing very badly before Geely came along. Now, GD Holdings, uh, a China-based company who started very small, grew very fast, uh, started buying up a lot of companies, including Volvo. They own Volvo. Um, they have Polestar. They have Lincoln Co. They have so many other brands under them right now. Um, now, when they took Proton, now, before that, other car companies came to take Proton. I mean, came to buy into Proton, uh, do a joint venture and things like that. Uh, I won't name the brands. I know who they are. They came in. There were a lot of obstacles, a lot of speed bumps. They said, no, it's not worth it. It's not just just not worth the hassle. But when Geely came in, the timing was perfect. Maybe it was mm -hmm. politics. Maybe it was uh, economics. Or maybe, you know, Proton had just said, okay, enough is enough. We just have to, we have to find a partner quickly. And Geely came in and they brought in the X70. The X70 was already a product of Geely, selling in China, selling in Russia, selling in many other countries as a left-hand drive model. So they quickly uh, re-engineered it for right-hand drive, launched it in Malaysia. The first few units came from China, did superbly well, you know. I remember seeing it and saying, whoa, at this price, this SUV, why not, you know. Mm -hmm. Then, of course... As time went on, they started localizing it and then, you know, they, they revamped the factory in uh, Tanjung Malim and then it, it started getting local assembled, uh, more local content in and then, you know, more features were added, some features were changed and it still 
sold really well. Now, in between, um, Geely also helped with the other products, and then we had the X50. But the turnaround product is the X70. This will go down in history as the X70. Here's my issue. Why did it take a foreign car company to turn Proton's fortunes around? That's number one. Mm. Number two, for so many years, Proton has been sending dozens of Malaysians overseas to different, different car factories, car manufacturing plants, car universities to get the best education in car engineering. And these people came back. Where are they today? These were all on taxpayer money because this is a national car, right? So why did it take a foreign car company to be able to do this? Why wasn't it able to be done by Malaysians? Now, I say this because we do have a second national car company, Perdua. And even though they have a foreign partner, they've been profitable for the longest time. They've done their job. They've been steadfast in producing good quality, honest products at a sensible price with no issue. Now, Proton was there first. So what happened? One, you know, like one company took the highway and clearly went down the road paying their toll charges and everything else. The other one took one side road, went, you know, coastal road, went uphill, downhill, everything else, and then ended up in a dead end, you know? Mm. This is what I'm, I'm worried about because does it mean if Geely were to pull out a proton, will they fail? Oh, is this a rhetorical question or? I'm asking, I'm asking. You know, oh, yeah, I'm, I don't think they'll pull out, but I'm just saying, you know, why did it take a foreigner and why, if the foreigner were to walk away, I mean, leave their investment in, but just walk away in terms of management, can proton still succeed and still go ahead? Because it is, it's about time that they stand on their own two feet. It's been too many years. Oh, this is a, I, I want to say something, hmm. but I don't know. I think they, there's probably enough pride now yes. in, in that company. And, and I think, you know, people like you who are, uh, are talking about, you know, the X70, how it's been the turnaround, whether or not they needed help to get there or not, right? Hmm. The fact of the matter is now they have this product. It, it is arguably groundbreaking for Proton. Right. And therefore, there must be a sense of pride. And I think it's probably safe to take a step back if you were that, you know, foreign company. Yes. But and you see, you see, like now, you know, mm. they're already exporting to Brunei, Pakistan, and uh, they've got dealers in Nepal, Egypt, Bangladesh, Kenya, South Africa. I mean, it's growing. It's not mm. huge numbers, but it's growing, mm. you know. But mm. if you look at all the countries they're moving into, it's not like before. Like before, right. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you remember, Richard. Yeah, UK, yeah. big market, Australia, yeah. New Zealand, you know? Mm-mm-mm. These are very mature markets. Why haven't they gone back to these markets? Because I think these markets will say, hey, you know, last time uh, you came, uh, hi, uh, you know? I don't know. I, I think part of it maybe is that these these markets perhaps have, have got, um, I don't want to use the word mature, uh, but they, they seem to be switching their priorities a little bit faster. True, true, um, true. It's moving towards electric, Daniel, right? You know, and uh, I, I think that's partly it. Perhaps. Maybe that's part of it. But, you know, Geely has got electric cars. Yeah. So, Geely should be, should be, and I think they are in the planning process to bring the electric cars to Malaysia at some point, mm-hmm. whether as a Proton or as a standalone brand. But I think if they bring it in as a Proton, uh, rebadge it, re-engineer it for our, our, our market, why not? And then, you know, take it overseas again. Yeah, I think that would work for here. But if you're in the UK, for example, and you've got the choice of either a Proton or a Tesla, right? I, I think that that would be a difficult choice for some people. True, the Tesla name or, or is rather, big. Yeah, yeah, the Tesla name is big. But you know, let's 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 take some some Korean brands like Kia and 
Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe overseas they've lost their sheen a little bit. Or yeah. what about what about if you started seeing uh, like like now we suddenly have a you know big move with made in China cars like the Aura Good Cat and the BYD Auto mm. Three. They are coming in. Cherry is coming in very soon. These are all electric cars coming in. They are not big in UK. So Geely could use Proton as a as a you know like a fast track way to get into the UK market. But is the UK yeah. market big enough for them to bother? That's the other question. But it's like you say though. You know when when stuff is on sale here, that mm. brand image makes a big deal. You know whether or not it's Peugeot or whatever here, some people will won't buy them because of the name. It, yes. The same goes for the UK or for Europe, right? Yes, but you see, Richard, years ago, a lot of people, when you say a made in China car, mm, not yeah. so good. Today, made in China is not a bad thing. In fact, it is a That's good right. thing. That's right. That's it's right. It's a good thing and people are more impressed. And you know, I've never seen so much uh, online reaction. When, when, we, when we write about new uh, Chinese-made electric cars being launched, mm. people are not questioning the quality or anything. They're just questioning price, price, battery, distance. Right, right, uh, right. Qual- you know, no one is using the word quality anymore. No one is mm. even asking about warranty, you know. Mm-hmm. They're asking about features, battery, distance. They're asking about things which they'll ask when they're talking about premium brands also, you mm. know. Hey, that Ali Johan's gone very quiet. I think he's shy. Yeah. <laughs> Here's what I think. I think Proton for a long time before Gili came along, they ran out of ideas with the shape of cars that they were putting out and when Geely came along they introduced to Proton something groundbreaking in the X70 and the X50. To your question Daniel if Geely pulls out will they fail? If Geely leaves the, the X70 and X50 type cars with Proton to continue then maybe they'll be okay but if they pull out together with their line of cars and leave Proton with the sedans that they currently have the Saga and the Gen 2 or Gen 3 or whichever cars that they're going to sedan cars that they're going to sell mm. maybe they might lag behind um, to Produa eventually even correct 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 that, that is Whoa, that's what I'm asking he keeps quiet and then spits it out right? oh man yeah. planned it all along I love Proton <laughs> but I'm, I'm so happy that Proton is, is now successful I'm so happy that they've got their after sales sorted out I'm so happy that you know their customer base has, has increased because why it means jobs for Malaysians it means more money rotating in the economy and also yeah you know, lower price cars for mm, Malaysians mm. to buy, you know? Did Geely also transfer that sort of knowledge to the company? Yes, because now the engine plant is in, in, in Malaysia for the 1.5 GDI engine. Mm. So they're building it in Tanjong Malim. So of course, there's transfer technology and everything mm-hmm, else. Mm-hmm. So this is another important factor because why you don't want to just, you know, cut and paste, you know? Uh, you want to bring in the technology, you want people to learn from it and everything else. This is what I said, you know, before when Proton was sending a lot of people overseas. I know people who went to Europe, went to Detroit and everything else. They came back, you know, fully loaded with documents saying they're qualified to do a lot of things, but they were not building their own cars, mm. you know? So this was the sad part. Ah, oh, good chat, fellas. Good chat. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, shall we take a break? Yep. Okay, ladies and gents, we've come to the end of part two, the recovery of Proton and why it needed foreign intervention. That's what we were speaking about. We've got more stuff coming up after the break, of course, in part three, a used car guide, luxury sedan for under 70,000 ringgit. Are you looking for a luxury sedan that offers great value and is depreciated by 90%? Then stay tuned here on Cruise Control. BFM 
BFM 89.9, the business station. Uh, this is Cruise Control. Welcome back. I'm Rich Bradbury. I've got Ali Johan, of course, and Daniel Fernandez. As we mentioned, we've got a used car guide coming up now. Uh, a luxury sedan under 70,000 ringgit. And as we just mentioned before the break, if you are looking for a luxury sedan that offers great value and is depreciated by 90%, here's the thing you need to listen to, Daniel. Okay, this is, uh, you know, a lot of people have been looking at super luxury cars when I say a lot of people, I'm talking about middle class people. People who cannot mm-hmm. afford these cars when they're new. Mm-hmm. They look, they, they, they admire them. They, some of them lust after them. They say, oh, you know, one day, one day I'll take my EPF money and buy or I'll buy a lottery ticket or, you know, I'll marry money and I'll afford it. You know? But um, a lot of people end up never being able to buy these cars. Now, today, like every year, you'll see cars that have, you know, gone past 12, 13, 14, 15 years suddenly dropping in value by a big margin. It's nothing to do with the economy. It's nothing to do with COVID. It just happens. As they, yeah. as they, as they go past eight years, the depreciation is used. I mean, you you know, you, you've, got, you've bought a luxury car for a fraction of its uh, yeah. original price. So here we're looking at two cars. One is an Audi A8L. The Audi A8L mm-hmm. is basically the biggest Audi you can buy sedan in terms of uh, luxury and long wheelbase. Mm. That's why it's called the L. The other one is the Jaguar XJL. Again, long wheelbase. Now, when Euromobile, the, the, the importer of Audi, first brought in this car in late uh, 2009, it was about 650-odd thousand ringgit. It had mm-hmm. a 3-liter TFSI engine. That's a turbocharged engine. Very nice engine, very smooth. Might not sound like a very powerful engine because it's a 3-liter in a huge car. But you must remember... Audis are all aluminium, lightweight aluminium body. Mm. So you still get plenty of performance. You get 290 horsepower. Doesn't sound a lot like, you know, in a big car like this. 420 newton meters. Again, doesn't sound like a lot. But the acceleration time is 6.2 seconds. Mm. Because it's light. Mm. Okay? And it's got a very nice gearbox. Then you have its direct competitors at that time, which was the BMW 740Li. Big Brother, BMW, not cheap, not, you know, not something that, you know, anybody can just walk into the showroom and buy. 818,000 ringgit, also fully imported like the Audi, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, that's almost 160,000 ringgit more. Then you got the segment bestseller at the time, which is still, I would say, the segment bestseller, the Mercedes-Benz S-Class. So, this was the S350L, 835,000 ringgit. And still the bestseller. Because why? Mercedes-Benz, you know? Mm. Now, in terms of power delivery, all of them were about equal. you know. But I think the Audi had a little bit of a stretch, you know? Mm. Now, then came the Jaguar. Now, the Jaguar we are talking about today is a diesel version. Now, during that same era, there was an XJL petrol version. But it wasn't very popular. I don't know why. But a few years later, Jaguar came out with a diesel version. 3-liter diesel. It was a brand new diesel engine and at that time, diesel was good news. Diesel was thumbs up. Diesel was the darling of Europe, you know? Everybody wanted a diesel engine and 271 horsepower. That's a lot for a diesel engine. But what's most impressive is 600 newton meters of torque against the Audi's 420, you know? Mm, mm. Now, the acceleration time, not as quick as the Audi, even though it's got more torque, 6.4 seconds. Why? The Jaguar is heavy. 
the jaguar is loaded with leather jaguar is loaded with wood you know <laughs> there's a miniature forest in there you know <laughs> you know you know jaguar you you get into jaguar everywhere you touch is leather and it's not soft touch leather you know it's not <laughs> thin leather it's nice thick padded leather you know so anyway that car came in fully imported at 699000 and it sold really well now when i say really well not as good as the, as as the bmw and mercedes okay because they were the default choice but still it sold quite well now years later almost 12 years later now a lot of people who bought this car first hand they were rich people they were company people corporate purchase and all that so i would say most of them would have sold it in the 5th 6th or 7th year right now These two cars apparently on sale which I I found online are one owner cars. Now why they are one owner cars is very simple. A lot of times say now nah, I'm a company director. I'm the company director of BFM say, okay? Mm. So my my entitlement is a company car. So they say okay, we'll give you a Jaguar. They gave me a Jaguar, I use it for 6 7 years, then it's time for me to change the car. They say, "Oh, as a company director, we'll give you a brand new Jaguar." Then I say, "Hey, what's happening with the old one? It's quite nice. I'm you know, I, I kind of like it." Oh, we'll sell it to you at a discounted price. You know, you know, we'll sit down with the accountants and work out a price. You know, and this is when they buy the car over at a reasonable price because they know the car has been well looked after. They have sat in the car, they have serviced the car, they have done everything right. Yeah. So they buy the car at a very reasonable price, and they decide to keep it as a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth car in the house, mm-hmm. and then maybe they're no longer a director in the company or whatever. So these cars sometimes. tend to stay with the owner for 10 11 years now if the owner was a company director you know he's he still got a bit of money lah you know mm, mm. so he's not going to be stingy in terms of servicing he's not going to be stingy in terms of maintaining the car you know mm. if he needs new tires he'll get new tires he won't go and buy second hand tires lah you know mm-hmm. if he needs a proper service he'll give it a proper service if he needs you know new new parts he'll get new parts he won't go to a junkyard and get second hand parts but after 10 11 12 years maybe yeah time to get a new car lah, you know <laughs> maybe i think this car is a bit old you know the leather already starting to smell a bit different you know the yep, sweat yep. you know yeah yeah so they sell the cars now the market for these cars will not be good because why other rich people don't want to buy a 10 11 12 year old jaguar or they because they they can afford a new one right that's right yeah. so you got to hit middle class malaysia which is me and richard bradbury lah you know <laughs> So, middle-class Malaysia will look at the car and say, "Brother, hey, how much Rotex?" Eh? The moment someone asks you how much Rotex, you know they cannot afford the car. That's right. right. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> the the moment someone asks you, "Hey, this tire, twenty-one inch, how much one tire?" Uh. You know he cannot afford the car, lah. Mm-hmm. You know. The third thing, hey, consumption, how much? Eh? Hey, if you're going to ask about petrol consumption eh, or diesel consumption, you cannot afford the car. <laughs> okay. Now the fourth. Conversation will, which will carry on after a few tetares will be, a hey, parts pricing, eh? same as Proton and Perdua. Hey, hey, no, 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 no. They are not even the same as BMW and Mercedes. Now I'll tell you why. Because BMW and Mercedes very common, a lot on the road. So you know, economies of scale. They can bring in a lot more parts. They can charge a bit less margin. They can sell more. Jaguar, not many on the road. Audi, not many on the road. So parts pricing a little bit more. Okay. So you you may be able to buy this car at a very reasonable price, but remember, maintaining it will not be as reasonable as the other counterparts. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is what I said to someone who 
when when they when when I did this article, of course, I I forgot to say earlier. I was thinking about a couple of friends of mine who were saying, you know, it's it's so nice if we could get a nice big luxury car to just chill lah, you know, in the last few years, you know, of our job or you know, like go to weddings and parties and to the golf course in a nice big car. I said this is a great thing to do because why you you already have your cheap car, you know. Mm. Your Japanese car, your Korean car, your Malaysian-made car for your daily driving. Use this for the weekends. Yes, ah. you still you still have to pay road tax a year. You know what I mean? Mm. But your insurance is cheap because your insurance is based on the value of the car. So, for example, if you had a brand new Proton worth hundred ten thousand, the insurance on that on that Proton will be more expensive than the insurance on this on this Jaguar or Audi. Because these cars are only about sixty over thousand ringgit. Okay. So insurance is on value on cars. So you're not paying much on insurance. But yes, road tax is very high, because these cars have big engines. Yeah. But three liter is about maybe, if if private three thousand over ringgit, diesel same thing about three thousand over ringgit. It's not that bad. It's not a five liter or a six liter or a four point two. You get what I mean? Yeah. So it's still manageable. So I will say you're looking at about maybe three hundred to three hundred and fifty ringgit a month to keep this car road taxed and insured for the road. I think that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So it's yeah. not too bad. Not too bad. Now, yeah. if you're not going to use it every day, your wear and tear will not be much. But at 12 True. years old, Daniel, at 12 years old, how is the wear and tear already at this age usually? Well, you see, you think about it. Most of these guys, when they sell these cars, they'll not wait until the car is about to break down to sell it. Because why? When you go and test drive it, okay, there will be certain things like water pump. You you can't guess. Hmm. You don't know when the gearbox is going to go. You don't know when the drive shaft is going to go. But on a test drive, you'll know reasonably well how good or bad this car is. And I'm like I've said before, any used car you buy, put aside 10% of the purchase value for repairs in the first year. Right. So if you're buying a car for sixty thousand, put aside six thousand. So assume that you're buying the car for sixty plus six. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm. You must have that cash ready. If you don't have the cash ready, don't don't gamble with this. Stay at home quietly with your with your normal car. Mm. <laughs> so you know, if something goes wrong, you're going to be spending the money. But if something doesn't go wrong, that six thousand to go to nice chuti chuti Malaysia holiday lah. That's la, true. You know? Yeah. But you see, if you have nothing really serious, you could end up using the car for another one or two years without much maintenance. Maybe just servicing because you're not using it every day. You're not using it in heavy traffic jam where stop go traffic will really you know will really wear everything down. You mm. use it on a Sunday, use it on a Saturday. Maybe on 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 a weekday you go for a nice dinner with some friends. You know you you arrive in style. You know, <laughs> you know, or you or you think you know you, you want to go to a shopping mall and and then jockey it in front and then you know when you get out of the car you're like wow <laughs> you know you want to get noticed you know you get your Your friends to stand across the road and start taking a you know a video and then put it on a social media and say, "Oh, look who arrived in a Jaguar." Uh, the, the jockey sees it and says, "Okay, no, okay, bro, it's no problem. It's 12 years old." <laughs> <laughs> Harsh. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Hey, yes. Um, so I, I approve of this message. Yes. So to me, this is something which I would say if you really need to get it out of your system. Do it for a couple of years. Now, if you do it for a couple of years, say you buy this car for sixty-five thousand, for example, you spend another say fifteen thousand on road tax, insurance, maintenance for the next two years, right? Mm, mm. I'm I'm just giving a ballpark figure, so it comes up to eighty thousand ringgit. You spend eighty thousand ringgit for two years of super luxury motoring, motoring, and then you say, okay, time to sell. Say you sell for 
50,000 ringgit. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because it depreciated quite a lot, right? So, it sells for 50,000 ringgit. So, you've lost 30,000 ringgit in two years. Divided by 24 months. That's a thousand over ringgit a month to have this kind of prestige. Why not? Once in a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. If you're lucky, you might even be able to sell it without losing any money. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I can speak about buying a luxury, as you mentioned. Right. 11, 12-year-old car. I think there are pros and cons, obviously. Okay. I, I don't get out very often enough for people to take photographs as we're getting out of the car right. <laughs> to post on social media. But right. it has been expensive in parts. And I, and I think that's just what you're going to get. You know, wear and tear is a big thing. You know, the roads yeah. here in KL are a big thing. Uh, continental cars break down because they're not built for Malaysian weather. Internals is, is one of the big issues, I think. Right. You know, mm-hmm. stuff like the dashboard and one thing or another is stuff that you need to pay attention to. They're just my hot takes, Daniel. Hot takes. Right, but did, when you bought it, did it lose 80 to 90% of its original value? Yes. Okay, so the amount of money you spent in the last couple of years, was yeah. it about you know 15 to 20,000 ringgit? Probably less, actually. Probably but, less. But you don't yeah. use the car every day, right? That's right, that's right. Yes, so this is what I'm talking about. You know, you can mm. enjoy some some luxury motoring without the heavy pocket losses. Yeah. yeah. And, and then one day just say, okay, listen, I want to walk away. That's right, that's right, yeah. You know, maybe, maybe next month or maybe next year. But you see, for, for this article, I put these two cars side by side because they're about the same age, they're about the same prestige value. They're also quite unique in, in the terms that they're not very popular in terms of the numbers on the road. Mm. More importantly, they still look fresh. They don't mm. look outdated. Yeah. I mean, if you see an XJL driving up your, your, your street, you'll still say, wow, this is a handsome looking car. You would, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and if and if you see the, the Audi A8, it still looks fresh and modern. I mean, mm. you take the latest model, the only the changes are a little bit on the grill, the lights, the bumper, the wheels, you know. Mm. And they still look very, very expensive to the average person. If you mention this to the average person, like some people ask me, are you sure these prices are correct? They are correct because this is what their values are today. So now, between these two, Ali, Hmm. Which would you buy if you were going to choose one? I am actually much more inclined to the Audi A8. Okay. Because I feel like Jaguar has a certain standard or stature that is beyond me. <laughs> ah, you're a simple man. Yeah, I, hmm. I feel like uh, the Audi, especially the backlights, uh, really appeal to me. I mean, it's not attractive at all with the XJL, at least to me, yeah. And the shape and the look uh, of the Audi A8 is quite... Literally the kind of shape that I would like in a car. Okay. So, Richard, which would you pick? You know what? I'm on Ali's side, actually. Um, I've never been a fan of the the newer-shaped Jaguars. You like the old classic shapes, like the I round like lights? The old classic, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I can't shake uh, off that old shape of the Jaguar. It has to be that, like that, right, Rich? Exactly. I mean, and I, I, know, I know people love this new Jaguar shape. I really don't. And I've really tried to look at it, you know. <laughs> But I'm like, no, it just doesn't appeal to me. It, it's too generic. Right. Is that, ooh, I'm sorry, Jaguar, you know. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's what I feel. What about you, Daniel? I'm glad you asked. I'm really glad you asked because I'm going to go for the Jaguar. Oh, really? I'm going to go for why? the Jaguar. Why, 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 Because I've driven this car. I've used it for two weddings, two of my, 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 my niece's weddings. I uh-huh. borrowed it from Jaguar and used it. And I drove it and I sat in it. I even sat in the back and everything else. I love the luxury in this car. I just love... It just oozes money. It just says, oh, I got no money. 
you know? <laughs> I mean, the seats are so soft and comfortable. The legroom is massive. The audio system is amazing. The ride comfort when the air suspension is working is just beautiful. And even in a diesel engine, there is such a nice engine growl, you know? Mm. I'm not worried about the looks because I'm sitting in the car. Well, that's true. It's yeah. true, I'm yeah. sitting in the car. And then, you know, when you open that door, you know... You, that waft of leather hits the car jockey mm. and he's like, whoa. I know what you mm. mean. <laughs> mm. Mm. I mean, if you look at it like that, I guess, you know, internally, yeah. probably the Jag. But just to look at it and see it parked in the driveway or outside the house, it's got to be the Audi. Same. I can live with the Jaguar looks. I can live with it very easily. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. We have to have difference of opinion every now and exactly. again, don't we? And that's the whole point of the show. Exactly. Right, folks, thank you very much for tuning in, of course. Uh, this has been Cruise Control here on BFM. If you did miss any part of the show, we highly recommend you download the all-new, all-brand-spanking-new, shiny BFM app. It's available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. My name is Rich Bradbury, and on behalf of my friends Daniel Fernandez and Ali Johan, this has been Cruise Control here on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.